0: We're just gonna chat chris and no agenda on my end uh if you have stuff you want to talk about stuff you want to promote fantastic i'm just curious about picking the brains of other people that are involved in cycling from an event promoters perspective right. does that make sense it does fantastic so for those who don't know chris this is chris carlson definitely a legend national champion multiple times yeah multiple times okay and forgive me i've bonked my head a couple times over the past few years so some things have fallen out was there some sort of world record in the mix that you were attached to uh i i have set a few
1: world records um i think right now
0: i've got two that are still alive Is there a world championship in the mix for you somewhere along the way as well? I knew about the national championships. Yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, Well, there's actually 20 of them. 20 worlds? It predates you. Okay. I mean, my
1: memory is you came on the scene and, uh, uh, thank you, made gravel a thing. I mean, I think you're part of the national gravel story. You're part of the international gravel story because Texas is a fairly big racing community relative to the size of the U.S. racing community. And we had gravel races uh, in numbers and in quality, I think, ahead of most of the rest of the U.S. And uh, you put on a gravel race that I think by, you tell me if I'm wrong, your own surprise turned out to be a pivotal moment in gravel racing in the U.S. And that's when Lance showed up at Texas Chain Ring in 2017. And it was a pretty well contested race. It got a lot of publicity. But I think, again, you're part of the story. And that event was part of the story. Gravel exploded across the US. And now, I think, I mean, it's a UCI World Championship now. So you'd have to say it's
0: gotten to a pretty significant level around the world. Uh, I appreciate those kudos here. Uh, It was dumb luck for us to have Lance show up for that race. We were excited as heck. I, When I saw that, I'll be honest with you, when I saw that sign up come through, I just saw there was somebody pulling my leg. He brought, a, he brought a crew.
1: He brought a crew. Crosby was in that race. Well, Matt definitely. Stevens was in that race. Uh, you, uh, you may remember better than me. I think I had done chain ring before that. You definitely had done it prior to that.
0: I think I did your second or third iteration. that it started from the where we park now yeah you, you uh, your first one and then i'll be honest with you it's it was a big deal for lance to show up for that event a bigger deal for me was when you finished your first texas chainring massacre and the smile you had on your face grinning from ear to ear and the first thing you said that's the most fun i've had on a bicycle oh, yeah, well, it, it's still fun
1: brian foley won adam coble was second and my son zach zach was third and part of my smile was Zach third and and you know there's a there was I don't know 100 miles of racing in there but the part that I had the most fun with is at some point we turned into a crosswind and I said Zach get on my wheel and I put it in the left tire swath uh, right tire swath just enough that Zach had room to ride you know in the sweet spot but a not not enough room left for Brian or Adam or the other 50 people that were still there, (laughs) and by the time we turned right out of the uh, crosswind, the only people that were left were uh, me on the front, Zach was on my wheel, Adam Koble was there, Brian Foley was there, and um, Brian from Denton. Brian Drumgold. Everyone disappeared, and I said, and I, and then I disappeared. I was like, go, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> and I swung over. Drume Ghoul came along, and I jumped on his wheel. And i like, oh, maybe I can get to the finish and end up uh, fourth. Ryan had bad luck and flatted on a tubular. This is kind of before... This was before gravel bikes. Yeah, before, before gravel bikes and, really and gravel setups and every people every having... The, tubeless tires yeah. weren't
0: worth. They were around, but people kind of didn't really understand them. That's why I think that was... Probably thirteen, maybe fourteen.
1: Yeah, and I, and I, frankly, when I think back on it, I was riding. Uh, Bosak and I were riding aluminum, specialized crux. I think we had on uh, like thirty three. They were they were cycle UCI cycle, cycle cross, cross. Um, legal. So thirty threes. Right. I can't believe we didn't
0: flat. Well, that, for years I was telling, what what tire should I get? If you can do 38s or more 40s or more you got to do that and for years people were saying oh no 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 we we don't need that to go fast and now on gravel 40 plus is kind of the standard yeah
1: yeah i rode 40 uh i, I have mostly ridden 38 this last uh texas ring, I rode 40s
0: and it um, didn't slow you down did it
1: no i i felt i mean it was a complicated analysis to what made the difference the 40s i think were part of it i also for the first time had a purpose-built cross um, gravel bike. And I was super comfortable, like I've never been before. Normally I feel a little bit beat up, but this time all carbon fiber, including the bars and the stem and the seat post. And I just think
0: that that in the 40s, uh, tubeless, and And, that that made a difference. And to be fair, we probably had the smoothest course we've ever had for just the way the weather conditions and road maintenance work—it's just a luck of the draw thing. That double track that you put in, yes,
1: that was sweet. You like
0: it, good. I mean, I, I my whole race strategy uh,
1: changed because of that double track. Um, I, you know, I was—I had a teammate who was uh, doing a lot of work, Colin Dar, mm-hmm. and he was covering stuff, and I was literally not doing anything. Um, and having done the race a number of times knowing the finish I felt good about just getting away and winning it near the very end but when we hit that double track and then I'd looked on my gps which I saw the 90 degree turn in the middle of that double track I'm like oh I have to attack here I have to and I went from the back to the front and just pinned it and that's where I went away so there were five guys chasing and Colin did a good job of kind of not helping with good organization of the chase but it was it was I think that's about 21 miles from the finish South's pretty close to right yeah yeah and they so they caught me with i think uh two or three miles to go okay uh and um i was i felt i felt good that I didn't get dropped and I was able to give Cullen the lead out. And I felt so good in the lead out I decided he was going to have to come around me. I wasn't swinging but over.
0: You you had it with but a, you tur- heard a turn, me. A turn you to go. is what you I did know. Me. I thought I got this. Tell, and he went... So, all right. Tell, 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 tell the story. Well, Do, I went into that corner. Paint, so. paint the picture of what that last chicane S-turn... It, it's not even a chicane. It's more than that. Yeah, I'd say it's cane. more than a chicane. It's yeah. too hard. It's uh, too hard 90s. 90 degrees.
1: And... Um, you know, followed, I followed I followed my own coaching advice, which I had given the day before or that morning to a number of my riders that were at the event. Go and ride the last, like, half a mile to mile of the finish so you know what it is and take note of, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Well, I did that, so I screwed this up. I, I mean, it just tells you cycling's not as simple as some think. You know, I rode it, and there was this giant pile of dirt in the – that second to last critical corner. And it was very loose, and there were some chunky rocks. Uh, and the road was in a little bit worse condition right before um, that turn than it is in years past. They'd mm-hmm. done some kind of work they, on they it. They were doing something. Uh, but that pile of dirt messed up the sight line. It made it look like that corner was much narrower than it really was because you, as you came into it, you couldn't see the apex. And you were worried about trying to hit the apex because there's this pile of dirt there, and you're worried I'm going to put my pedal on it or something sure so I wrote it and I'm like okay this is good I know if I'm first here I'm winning I still feel that way <laughs> except that I went into it so hot there was a little drift and I put my head down because I was worried that I had stalled enough in the drift because I had to get out of the gas and I just put my head down and I did like five pedal strokes and went right past
0: the last turn and still, Got third. Still got third. But just, just. just on the 80 mile, 82 just miler. Just made me kick myself like. not this. trying to, not trying to call you out or anything. Anyone can look up your age group, where you're at. How, how old are you, Chris? 59. 59. 60 this year. So racing age, 60. Ra- racing age, 60. All right? And Collins, how old? Uh, I think Colin's uh,
1: 16 now. 16. 16. <laughs> the Bike Mart team, Torchy's Bike Mart. Um, we're focused on development so 16 to 25 26 we've got a few older guys uh that are still very competitive just because i need help herding the cats
0: sure colin's uh, 16 he's first you're racing age 60 you're third aston haswell got second in y'all's race right? right i think aston's mid-30s he i think he's really a big part of the story about why i got chased down
1: okay the guys were like do we need to chase that? I mean, don't. you know, the beard and and being 60s made be yeah. a little helpful, because it like that. Guy it's like a sleeper. That's like, we have to chase that, <laughs> go, go, we have to chase that. I think I, my
0: teammate Chris Powers had won the very first chain ring, which I think was two years before that. 2010 was our very first okay. chain ring massacre. It, back in, so we started that one from the paintball facility next to Texas Motor Speedway, so right there, Basically North Fort Worth. Back in those days, we could start there and have gravel yeah. all the way to the Red River. Yeah. Well, basically all the way through Oklahoma. At wanted. that time, we were doing our events through USA Cycling, but gravel wasn't a recognized discipline. So I were, thought there was a really big opportunity in there for USA Cycling to kind of get involved with gravel. but. I also thought it was kind of necessary for them to recognize it's not traditional road racing. It is a different discipline, it needs to be looked at a slightly different way. And they weren't catching on to that. Yeah, it'd be, they uh, sometimes struggle to adopt as quickly as they need to. Uh, um, well, that's that's human nature. Know, it's yeah. organizational nature. And that, I was yeah. not saying that as a criticism grab, towards grab, USA grab Cycling it. at all. Well, I'm uh, yeah, um,
1: and I'm not either.
0: Uh, they missed. They missed an opportunity. They missed an, opp-
1: they missed an opportunity. They've they've caught on uh, now. Uh, I think will that be for the better? Same. In, I asked it, it, it'll the, be. I inter- asked the same question. It'll be interesting about to see the, how it shakes UCI. out. UCI. It's definitely the fact that there's now a world championship at the UCI level for gravel racing is a huge deal, and it's going to change. In my in my view, it's going to change the uh, complexion of a uh significant uh amount of the gravel racing that goes on gravel racing and rides that go that go on in the country and i think some of that will be really good um and i think some of it will uh frustrate people i think it has the potential to in general uh increase the kind of entry price for racing which i don't think is good because in this country um Entry price for our sport is, is a challenge for where we need to be. We're not nearly as diverse as we need to be, and we don't get nearly the uh, um, fair share of talent that we should given the size of the country and its population mm-hmm. and uh, its athletic um, potential. We definitely do not dominate it today, right? Because cycling is at this point a European centric sport. So, gravel, um, I don't know if it's fair to say we invented it. I mean, the Tour de France took place largely on gravel when it started. Yeah,
0: I agree completely that uh, racing on gravel did not originate in the United States, but I think. The current
1: iteration of it Gravel did. grinding.
0: Yeah. The current iteration the, of it did and the, what I think is going to happen. The group event that also has a competitive element in it for those that are competitively inclined, I think that's a very American approach to uh, I, I agree with that, at least at the elite competitive level. And mm-hmm. in the U.S., we have races that are
1: at that level. I the Europeans good. are going to come to dominate those if they come over here and do them. I think there's going to be more gravel races now in Europe um, and... Just like with uh, road racing, that may cost us some good events here in the U.S. because it's just a long way to come to race your bike from Europe all the way to sure. the U.S. And we no longer have a Tour of California. We no longer have a Tour of Colorado. We no longer have a Tour of
0: Utah. You touched on actually some hot buttons for me there, and I actually hopefully I'm not shooting myself in the foot here. I think, I, I think there's still an opportunity for USA Cycling or something comparable. Um, I, don't think, I don't think grassroots promoters like myself and some of the other independent guys have the wherewithal to pull off something like this. Quite frankly, I don't think the, the Lifetime series and the big commercial events have a desire to... But I think there's a middle ground of some sort of organizational structure that works in conjunction with communities and states and regions and stuff to do something like the tour to Colorado, but on a gravel basis, where but it would take such a coordinated effort that it's somebody that's in between what the existing. Gravel scene is. I, I think USA Cycling actually could be the right facilitator of some. I mean, obviously, it's outside their capability to do it all themselves, but I think they could facilitate something like that. Well, like, like a gravel stage race. We've done something like we, with we've we, we've raced across Texas. Yeah, we've done it. Yes, the race across Texas. We've done we've done a stage approach to that, but it's you know it's it's outside my capability to really coordinate it with what would be ideal with all the communities and counties along the way and put the pieces together for it to be a package that makes sense. Is it, is it something that every community, every gravel region could do every month? No, nothing, nothing like that. But at a national level event, something like that, like I said, the Tour of Colorado sort of thing, Tour of California sort of thing, move it to the dirt. But there, I think there is an opportunity for a very American approach to something like that. I would love to see that happen somewhere down the road. Yeah, me too. Um, all,
1: my my motto is all, all racing and riding is good racing riding routes. I I think anything that gets people on bikes, one, is healthy for them, and some of the people that get on bikes uh, end up being quite good at it and ha- having no idea going into it that they were gonna be that good at it, and they end up wanting to be competitive Racers and they end up representing our country in international competition and doing well. Uh, Lauren Stevens would be a, 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 a sto- Emily Newsom as well. And Emily's two, right two up there
0: stories well. along those uh, lines. I'm That's sure. the industry. You know, our, our motto was long, hard, and dirty, and yeah. we, we were really big on doing the hundred-mile-plus races. And uh, as we were building up, that worked really well for our crowd. But then when gravel started kind of getting into that um critical mass explosion and popularity thing and bringing in people from outside the traditional endurance uh formats because that's gravel started with you know 24-hour mountain bike racers and random ears and endurance ultra endurance riders generally speaking yeah and when it started picking up other groups uh we were getting lots of pushback on doing anything longer than 50 or 60 miles and so my
1: story is I I started in BMX. I got kind of big for it, so then I got onto the road. Um, it interrupted my uh, law practice because I was good enough that I kind of had to make a choice: Do I want to?
0: Um, what year was this roughly? Uh,
1: late eighties, early nineties. Okay. Um, I graduated law school in '89. Opportunities, but I kind of had to choose: You gonna mm-hmm. practice law, or are you are gonna be a bike racer? And I figured I could practice law for the rest of my life. I can only do this, uh, like right now. Turns
0: out I've proved that that's wrong. Um, when did you transition <laughs> to coaching?
1: Uh, that's uh, full-time. So after practicing law for 30 years, I decided, okay, I, I can go back to cycling on a kind of full-time thing uh, like six or seven years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I had done the math on it a few times while I was practicing law, um, you know, and you get to know, you've, what can you charge a month? How many athletes would you need? What, okay, what is that in revenue in a year? You know, and you you make good money as a lawyer. You, you mm-hmm. work your butt off. You have to have worked your butt off in law school and before that. So I'm comparing numbers and they're, you know, they're not... They're not comparable numbers. They're and, not going to slot directly on top of each I, you other. Know, so anyway, it, it ha- I didn't think it was possible to make a that kind of living as a cycling coach. Um, I I think it is. It's possible to make a different kind of living and be happier. Yeah. Everyone hear that? Happier. Happier. Okay. Uh, I mean, and I'm not saying that's for everyone, but yeah. I get to do things now that I only dreamed at, and they are part of my
0: job I I love my job
1: and I that's right I mean okay so we Kim and I were were we led 22 people around Mallorca last year it was a ton of work I was exhausted when it was over there was a ton of work going into it I mean it's like promoting a race there's just people don't understand the stuff that goes on and you know I'm responsible for 22 people in a foreign land it's an island where we're riding bikes, so all kinds of stuff can go wrong. And by the way, some of these climbs, like you go over the edge and you're literally
0: going over the so edge. So it's
1: like, it. you know, I'm not,
0: but I loved it. Amazing. So the, the old adage is, I'm sure you've heard it. Those who can do, those who can't teach. I think. <laughs> I think you're the perfect example of why that's not true, because not only do you teach now, you still do. I'm blessed to be able to still
1: do it's uh one I don't think it's necessary to be a Greek coach we have
0: numerous examples of coaches that raced very little I have just like the most basic fundamental understanding of team tactics and cycling the Um, team tactics are so obviously important in traditional road cycling there's been an attempt to apply some of that same stuff in gravel events obviously you you touched on it a little bit with some of the stuff that you guys did do you see those those team tactics overtaking the gravel scene long term
1: Uh, i don't know about overtaking they'll get used they are being used. They
0: are being used.
1: I mean, just, the, we already talked about uh, in the 80-mile race at
0: I guess. A- I guess that's what I'm asking. Is there more out there to be utilized that's not being utilized yet in gravel, or has what's been able to be adopted on the team tactics already in Well, I would say there's
1: probably nothing that can be used that hasn't already been used. Will it become... Uh, the predominant form of the most competitive gravel racing? I don't know. Like, those that make rules about how we do gravel racing will pass a, a rule and say, you can't have more than like two, two teammates in a gravel race. If we think that the best form of gravel racing uh, should be largely void of just dominant um, team tactics. And I think there's an argument that you can make for that, and, it, and that argument is not exclusive to gravel racing. I think. You can make this romantic argument about spirit of gravel and it ought to be the rugged individualist going on their adventure and the one that does the best adventure ought to win, and it shouldn't be the benefit of teamwork. I, I, don't, I don't see that that's not going to win at the most uh, at the elite level of, of racing. And to a certain extent, that's going to work its way down. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's people that come to it with uh, very uninformed and unrealistic kind of ideas about what it is. And that's part of the coaching job that's, that's fun. You know, like you, you and I know things about this sport that we don't necessarily think are um, worth paying for. But, but they are. And I didn't realize it either because I, yeah. I used to only take racers. And then I helped some people. I had a, I had a kid that played soccer competitively, NCA Division Two soccer player. He came to me and he wanted to take a run at being a pro cyclist. And he had never raced before. And he had only ridden it the bare minimum. And like in three years, he meticulously worked his way up. We worked it together to where... Uh, he got to be a cat, too, and he won the uh, um, in- Intelligentsia Cup race up in Chicago, so 11 days of racing. And I just found I found that fascinating for me. He was one of my earliest with that kind of experience, and there's lo- lots of others that aren't necessarily the competitive side, but it's like, I want to I do, I want to eventually
0: uh, do Unbound. I'm like, okay, well, we're they're still competitive, but won. they're competing against themselves.
1: Yeah. That's and the it's I look and, at it. and,
0: and their victory
1: is is just as valuable as winning the overall yep. race when you look at the journey and what's involved exactly. and in fact, it may be
0: harder. And it may be more more fun. Nutrition um, is such a huge thing these days. Yeah. It always has been, but I think we're kind of at the next phase on that. Where do you lean for your nutrition? Do you have a nutritionist yourself or have you been around long enough where you know the ins and outs of it yourself and you pass that knowledge along what what advice would you give to people to get going down the right nutrition path Um, I'm not
1: a nutritionist I don't have one I take in a lot of research from people that are expert in that field Dr. Stacy Sims is the one I probably listen to more than any, uh, I'll give some credit to my son, Zachary, when he was racing professionally. He started to research it, uh, and he actually came back to me and said, Dad, what you taught me is good, but it's not enough.
0: What is one thing that you think would get more people racing bicycles? Not riding bicycles, racing bicycles.
1: Racing bicycles.
0: Um,
1: wow. Um, I think NICA. And collegiate cycling are huge opportunities and need to be uh, supported by everyone as much as possible. Um, Three or four years ago, I went to uh, the Sackett's Ranch in Troy, where NICA has um, one of their early season mountain bike races. There were 600 kids racing, and I'm like, holy Crap. This is what we need. This could change things for cycling in the U.S. Racing. Having the feeder system of something like NICA that then leads somewhat seamlessly into collegiate, that then gets supported by USA Cycling into the elite ranks um, is a wonderful thing. your gravel races and having some high school competition. Um, I think that's an opportunity. You know, I haven't thought about that much. So I, I just, I, I like the high school scene and I like I, the collegiate I, I, scene. I, and you mentioned what could, what's uh, what I could think, we uh, get more people racing? I think that
0: might be worth digging into some. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know how familiar with it you are, but we're we're making a big shift in, the, in our business model. To yeah, we're still going to have entry fees, but w- what we really want to do is just try to get as many people that are members of club spinistry and then just make everything available to them free of cost kind of along what you were saying you work the math going from attorney to coach i've worked the math it's like hey if we had this many memberships we can just let everybody that's a member come join us yeah for you rides. wouldn't be chasing your tail on getting registered don't have to worry about if this one gets bad weather or whatever else hey Go ahead and sign up for it. If you guys can't make it, you're not out money for signing up for it sort of thing. We'll make it up the next weekend right. or whatever. But the family memberships would really, because we, we, we have a stupid good deal on the family memberships, which if you have a parent that's riding some and a child or two that's in the NICA stuff or something, hey, let's, let's put together some yeah. short course gravel routes. I'm very, very happy to be... That middle ground event that if somebody wants to use our stuff to get acclimated, trained up in the groove for doing something else, like I'm perfectly happy being yeah. that guy. And I kind of remember the way
1: with my coaching people, like people have said to me, you don't charge enough. Same thing with the camps Kim and I do in Majorca and in Fredericksburg and other places in the world. Eventually it's like, you guys don't charge enough for this. And it's like, you know what? We do it because we love it mostly. And we're charging enough to make a living, not get rich. I want people to feel happy about coming, that it's not too much, and they get there. And, you know, it's, uh, just, it's definitely true of your gravel races. I think it's true of uh, our our camps. Do
0: you uh, do you have a website if people want to see the stuff like that? that I haven't done doing? a
1: website cuz that too is too complicated and Understood. you have got to pay money to maintain a website. Facebook? How do you Facebook people? and Instagram. Okay. Yep. See, see Chris Carlson cycling coaching, Kimmy Got Legs. Okay. Uh Co- Kimmy Got Legs coaching. Um, and the stuff about our camps is on there as well on Instagram and as and in Facebook. You. Although no. I was still practicing law for that very first Texas chain ring master yeah, thought, and a lot of races after that which have been a lot of fun. When I think about some of my best Kevin Lee stories, the single track finish to Red River Riot that mm-hmm. one year. Yeah. I remember the First Hill Country Hundy. Uh, Kim and I were out there together, mostly Matt Stevens was in it to win it. I hope we get to do more races together. I'm sure we will. I, I would like to make hill country hundy this year. A rat is of interest to me. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time, Chris.